This call is being recorded. Welcome to the 3D Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, co-host Justin Lewis. We've actually got a pretty um, a pretty unique and, and special setup here. I am going to be hosting um, with some guests one episode this week while regular uh, co-host Justin Lewis hosts his own episode as we're trying to get back lined up for an opportunity to get going again on a regular basis. So he'll be joining you um, at a later date here this week. But again, I am I'm very happy to welcome one of the new members here at on the 3ND Podcast, Greg Lubiani. Greg, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great. How are you doing? I can't complain at all. Just got in from doing some yard work. The Braves are finally deciding to wake up in terms of baseball. Don't know if you're a baseball fan, but uh, but uh, pretty pretty excited to, to to at least see that. But man, I'm excited to talk with you and talk some Grizzlies basketball. How are things down in Texas? Hot. Very hot yeah. right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. You talk about doing yard work. Well, half my yard's dead from the heat right now. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that, uh, that that's probably one of the, the big booming businesses this time of year in Texas is yard work because not a lot of people want to do their own with how hot it is, so I don't blame you a bit. No, that's, yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Greg is one of the new team members of mine over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, he came on uh, with the latest um, – um, wave of new riders and uh, but uh, you know as i mentioned you know with the first two uh people that we had on jordan peterson brandon smart greg is no stranger when it comes to riding he may be new to grizzly bear blues but he does have an extensive background greg just want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself what 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 uh basically brought you into an interest in riding and an interest in the grizzlies you know as you've uh you know become a fan and now a member of grizzly bear blues sure well you know i my background is coming from Memphis. I was born and raised in Memphis for the first 30 years of my life uh, and just love everything to do with Memphis basketball, whether it's, you know, going to the high school games, we're talking Memphis Tigers, going to the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned in my intro piece a little bit, I saw Elliot Perry as a young kid in the Coliseum. I saw Penny play. I was there when... Darius Washington, or excuse me, yeah, <laughs> missed the free throws against Louisville in the FedEx Forum. I was at the very first Grizzly playoff game. So I've all, I've always been a huge, avid fan and uh, really just kind of left at the opportunity to get a little bit more involved, to use my strength in terms of my economics and statistical background to be able to I guess contribute a little bit more to hopefully make make other allow other people to enjoy the game a little more as well. Well, that's understood, and and, and that's that's the thing about it. You know, if you look at a picture of me, I am not someone at all who is going to be able to sit here and play basketball to any type of significant level. But I enjoy the game. I enjoy learning about it, and I enjoy talking and writing about it. It seems like that's a similar interest of yours, but. Greg, it surprises me that, that you say being from Memphis, you have a love for basketball. You know, according to Shannon Sharp here recently, <laughs> Memphis has absolutely no history of basketball. It's known for bar BQ and nothing else. What was your take on Shannon Sharp's um, surprising uh, uh, take on Memphis and basketball? Magnificently uninformed. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's the only way you can describe that take. Um, you know, I, I I hope he gets a chance to come come to Memphis during basketball season 
so that he, he can see, you know, what an experience it is because I, I clearly, I don't think he's, he's ever ventured uh, to Memphis. Otherwise, you know, I don't think anybody in their right mind would make a comment like that. In all honesty, I think Skip Bayless hacked his Twitter account, made the comment himself. That's the only type of explanation <laughs> I can think of. Um, but so, you know, and now, of course, you know, it is taking a lot for me to be able to speak with you. You are an avid Memphis Tigers fan. You do. Yeah. You are a, a professor at Texas A&M University. Of course, me being a Tennessee Balls fan, you know, we may clash a little bit, but all joking aside. Um, so, uh Basically, the thing that I'll say is this, is that you, you, you're a professor in economics, and obviously you teach at Texas A&M yourself. The thing that I'll say, though, is, is that it seems like every year basketball is becoming more and more of an analytical haven. It seems like every year people are, be, are involving analytics more and more in their approach, anywhere from coaching staffs to the front offices, you know, wherever you look. You being a numbers guy, what is your take on that? Do you feel that it should continue to be that way? Or do you feel that sometimes people rely on it a bit too much? That's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it similarly in the way that I teach uh, my students in that analytics, data analysis, research, that should always be decision support, not decision making. Yeah. And I think that's what gets lost a lot of the time is people don't know where to draw that line. Uh, you know, I think some people from an analytics background maybe don't understand what the analytics are actually saying. Like, what are the numbers truly showing? What are their limitations? And I think maybe people that complete opposite don't like the numbers, don't understand that it's not trying to replace anything. It's trying to support and improve upon existing structures. And I think when you get people beyond those points where they understand the limitations, but also the value, that's where you can see a lot of growth. And I think you're seeing it more because better late than never, some teams finally started implementing that, you know, in the NBA, especially the Warriors and the Rockets, uh, and even the Grizzlies now are, you know, uh, have reputations for implementing uh, a lot of analytic support in their uh, business operations as well as uh, for player development. And obviously with the success that the Rockets and Warriors have had with it, Steve Kerr is a big fan. I think that other teams saw that if they didn't start using this, that they were just putting themselves at a disadvantage. I think you hit the nail on the head, and and, and I, that leads me to my next question. You know, the Grizzlies, um, Greg, um, have really focused on, you know, they, they wanted to stick with the past. They wanted to stick with what worked, the physical approach, the defensive mentality, and things such as that. But every year as the NBA became more of an offensive focus, as it became more analytically driven, it just seems like the Grizzlies were falling further and further behind. But yet in one offseason, you know, not only have we got, you know, good young talent, it really seems like that there is more of a a business analytical type approach from the front office to the roster we've constructed. Do you feel that the Grizzlies not necessarily have caught up with the rest of the NBA, but do you feel that the Grizzlies have taken a, a significant step 
towards getting more modern and getting more analytically driven to compete with the rest of the NBA as it continues to evolve? Well, I, I, I do think so, and I certainly hope so as well, because, again, we're Memphis. We don't have the advantage of, say, the Los Angeles Lakers with the Hollywood glitz and glamour. We don't have the advantage of New York's television market. You know, we, we are already starting behind everybody else from the get-go. And so we need strategies like advanced analytics to help close that gap. And so, I mean, I think that, that's where a lot of opportunity could be for an organization like Memphis is to really be smart about how we're allocating resources, who we're targeting in free agency, draft, et cetera. And, and I think that that's, you know, uh, being implemented. It certainly seems like they're, they've made some strong moves this summer uh, in reorganizing the roster. And, it, and it's got people excited and for good reason. And I think that you, you know, you know, hit the nail on the head when it comes to Memphis compared to bigger markets. One other byproduct of that is that Memphis is probably going to have a harder time attracting significant talent to through free agency. So we really have to focus on the draft. Obviously, for a decade, that hasn't been there. But now it's here. Now we're through luck, whatever it may be. Through luck and common sense, we're getting good players. And you wrote about, um, you know, probably the main young player on our team, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you wrote an article for about him over at Grizzly Bear Blues today. Very insightful, analytical approach towards his season. Let me ask you this question: When you compare him to the five players, Marvin Bagley, DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and of course Jaron Jackson, going forward, I mean, do you feel it makes sense for Jaron? to be considered one of the top two rookies going forward along with you, Luka Doncic? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I think Luka Doncic sh- showed, you know, just how uh, high his ceiling is coming in as a rookie and having the season that he did. But you really dig down into uh, a little bit more advanced numbers on Jaron Jackson, and you see, I mean, just the – potential just jumping off the page at you uh you know whether it's true shooting percentage three-point percentage i mean he's just a highly productive player right off the bat highly effective on defense and so you know from an analytics perspective i look at the those numbers and if i had it all to do all over again i still take jaron jackson every day of the week and twice on sunday I do agree. I mean, he, just his athleticism and, and the 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 ceiling that he offers um, is quite intriguing on both ends of the court, and that's what I think sets him apart. He's kind of got a high floor in his development. He's going to be so effective on defense just naturally that it really adds value whenever he's on the court. But looking, you know, we know his defense is certainly there, but looking at his offense, you did you know talk about that a little bit. And in terms of his scoring ability, in terms of what could Jackson Jr. do in the next step as as it, in his development as a scorer, where were you impressed with his scoring ability last year? And what's one area he could really improve upon to become a more versatile scorer? Well, I think, first off, you look at uh, how efficient he was as a scorer. You know, like I mentioned, high, highest true shooting percentage, you know, when it 
and that's factoring in the additional weight of three-point shots and points from free-throw shooting. And he was efficient because he had a very good season from the three-point line uh, as well as the free-throw line. You know, m- most big men, especially as a rookie, you know, the free-throw line is kryptonite, uh, but he did very well. Uh, and I think if there's any anywhere that we're, you know, looking for him to, you know, expand his game, I think we're likely to see it start emerging right now, now that Conley and Gasol uh, are in Utah and Toronto, you're looking at the future high-low combo of John Jaron and pick-and-roll utilization between those two uh, should just be unstoppable. You know, when you think about the potential that both of those players have, and so I'm, I, that's what I'm probably most excited to see is more use of Jaron with the pick and roll system, uh, because if he winds up uh, stepping out on the three point line, he's proven that uh, he can nail that shot. If he rolls down to the basket, he's been very efficient down low as well. So I think you know the biggest possible hindrance to that would just be body placement, you know, finding himself maybe a little further away from the basket than he wants to starting out. Uh, but no reason to expect that he can't improve on that and, and you know, should improve on that here very soon, I would imagine. You know, you had mentioned that he took an overwhelming majority of his shots from beyond the three-point line and close to the basket. Of course, one thing that was kind of, you know, non-existent in his game was a, you know, mid-range to long two game, you know, keeping defenses honest. But, you know, when you look at the numbers, you know, is that really that imperative? I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be a great, you know, weapon to add to the arsenal, I guess you should say. But with his free free throw shooting as well as his, you know, um, yeah, I believe he shot 73% within three feet of the goal. You know, it really seems like that his game beyond the arc and at the rim, it seems like it's pretty efficient. Do you feel that a, a long two or mid-range game, the development of that, really is that it really is that critical to his overall value? Or would you prefer him continuing to try to get more shots as close to the basket as possible, you know, which could result in more free throws, which he's good at as well? Oh, I think you're absolutely just would much rather have him increase his uh, touches closer to the basket. Because, you know, I think you know, those uh, mid-range shots, you know, short of the three-point line, you know, he's shooting less than 30% on those. And he, even with a significant improvement, I mean, let's say he got that up to 35%, that's still a horrible shooting percentage on a two-point shot. You know, you, you, you know, you would much rather him pass the ball or drive to the basket in that case. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think more so it's not developing the shot, it's avoiding the shot. Uh, because he, even with marked improvement, it's still a much lower percentage and much lower average points from that shot than you get close to the basket or even stepping back a little bit to the three-point line where he shot it very effectively. You know, again, I'm here with Greg Lubiani, a new um, um, writer from Grizzly Bear Blues, um, who's been kind enough to join us today, talking about his piece on Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, on the site today. So, again, focusing on his offense, you know, Greg, you, you've been a Grizzlies fan for a long time. You, we saw Mark Gasol for you know a decade. You know, be be a, a, 
a play creator, you know, a playmaker, uh, more than, you know, an aggressive big man. He wasn't the stereotypical big man. Do you feel, you know, along with, you know, we discussed the mid-range game with Jaron, do you feel that Jaron as a passer as or as a as a creator for his teammates, do you feel that's essential to really improving his offensive value? Or would you like for him to continue to focus on being as resourceful and as reliable of a scorer as possible? Well, I, you know, certainly I, you know, I think the assists definitely will need to rise, uh, but I think that I see that more as a byproduct of him becoming more comfortable, more knowledgeable in how the offense should flow, because he's going to start seeing more double teams. You know, he's going to start seeing a little bit more pressure from the defense because as he continues to become more and more of a focal point, you know, he had a little bit of a luxury last year in that. You know, he wasn't first or second option, and so he didn't. You know, he was got a little bit of more space as a rookie. Going forward, that's not going to be a luxury that he's going to keep getting, and so he's going to have to learn a little bit better to uh, how to find his teammates open. But I also think he showed the potential to be able to do that, and so you know, I think as he, you know, he and Ja especially uh, continue to grow and work on their dynamic. You know, I know, I know it's uh, early in the off season, but everybody likes to try and find something to pay attention to. And right now it's the fact that they're already uh, seem to be gelling together so well that you can only hope that that kind of starts to reflect in their chemistry on the court as well. And of course we know that the upside with Jaron Jackson Jr. is immense. And, you know, we'll get to the defensive side here in just a second, but you talked about the awareness when it comes to passing. Another area of awareness really focuses on the number one weakness in Jaron Jackson's game right now, and that's staying on the floor. You know, last year I had mentioned in the piece that I wrote, Jaron Jackson Jr. fouled. He, he committed more fouls in his number of games that he played last year than anybody has in more than 20 years. He truly was fouling at a historic rate. And so the only way that he's really going to continue to be as impactful as possible is to stay on the court. Greg, watching him last year, do you feel there's one key thing he can do to to foul less? Do you feel like we will see a significant improvement in his discipline to where he can foul less and stay on the court, obviously, more? Yeah, I I think he's got to trust his defense a little bit more. Okay. Uh, whether that's trusting his teammates on defense or even his own defense to where he doesn't have to uh, lunge to try and block a shot. You know, we, we you know, everybody knows that he was a, a good, very good shot blocker as a rookie, uh, but he's got to learn to be a little bit more patient with that and, and trust that, it, you know, he doesn't always have to jump out at somebody uh, to cause them to miss the shot. You know, trust, you know, develop and trust his um, man defense a little bit more to where you're not so eager to foul when you're trying to block a shot. And, you know, I think, again, that you mentioned it, that's definitely an area that I hope he's working on uh, with the staff and everything uh, this summer. Because you're right. I mean, if there's one thing that could hinder him, it's if that type of foul rate continues. So you mentioned trusting his teammates more. Obviously, this year, um, he's going to have Brandon Clark and Jonas Valanciunas next to him in a lot of lineups, probably for the majority of his time on the court. 
Do you think the presence of those guys, guys who can protect the rim, guys who can rebound, guys who have the ability to to let Jaron expand, you know, his defensive responsibilities, do you think that that will help Jaron learn to trust his defense more and that Jaron will develop a defensive chemistry that with those guys quickly? Oh, uh, you hope so. Certainly, and you know, de- definitely uh, are optimistic for that to happen. You know, uh, Valanciunas played very well after coming over uh, from the trade, and then with Brandon Clark, I, I don't think anybody questions uh, his, his uh, defensive abilities. But th- now he's riding high, coming off of the summer league MVP, which you know you never want to put too much stock into what happens in summer league, but. It, I don't, I, there's no avoiding the optimism uh, that comes with that as well, that, you know, that just further push of hope that things are trending in the right direction. And you get excited about the idea that, hey, Jaron on, out on the court, Brandon Clark on the court, you know, th- this could be a real, real special uh, in terms of uh, the defense, defensive potential. But like you said, they also have to be disciplined and patient a little bit, which is always a struggle for, uh, young players in the league uh, to make that adjustment where they're not jumping out at everything, reaching for every ball. Uh, and so ho- hopefully you'll see that progress as they continue to develop. Uh, and again, if that, if that occurs, then I think it's going to be really, really special. And then the other weakness, the other area of improvement, um, as we're again talking with Greg Lubiani from Grizzly Bear Blues, is the rebounding. When it comes to the rebounding, it feels like the the, the big thing with um, Jaron Jackson, he's never going to be a banger. He's going to be he he's going to have to get rebounds through athleticism and intelligence. And I think it's something that definitely he could do. But again, with Valanciunas and Clark in the mix, he may not have to focus on it that much. Do you feel that rebounding is something that he's going to probably at his best be average at? Do you think that that's going to be a detriment to his detriment to his overall game, or do you think that he does have the capability to eventually become above average in that in that you know area of his game? Uh, you know, as far as saying saying that he would be above average, I, I think that that remains to be seen. Do I think he you know he can be average? Yes. And I think being average for Jaron Jackson in terms of as a rebounder could help him as a total player really hit another level. Because last year, you know, he averaged, I think it was about 4.7 rebounds per game. And his rebounding rate's not very impressive uh, as a rookie. But again, he's a rookie. And I think some of the low rebounding numbers – you could attribute to the number of three-point shots. You know, it's it's hard to uh, grab rebounds when you're sitting out at the three-point line a lot of the time. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see with new coaching staff as well as Jonas in there, how much is he still going to be out on the three-point line? Is he going to be out there the same, more or less? How might that affect his rebounding as well? But even without that, I mean, you know, like you said, he's never going to be a banger. That's not his game. That doesn't mean he can't be a solid average rebounder to go along with a lot of other great aspects of his game. And the thing that I'll say is this, is that when you look at his overall game and his development and his potential, 
you know, you always want to throw names out there, and I've seen Anthony Davis thrown out there. Um, I'll be honest with you, the player that um, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s rookie um, um, stat line reminds you of, it very in terms of offensively, is Brooke Lopez. And I think that that's something that Jaron Jackson may be for the next few years. A guy who's developing into an all-NBA-level defender, but Brooke, Brooke Lopez on offense with the dribble drive game. You know, when I say that, do you think that, that that's a disappointment, um, Greg? Or, or do you feel that, you know, people don't really understand in the modern NBA, that's extremely valuable from a big man. Your thoughts on whose game Jaron Jackson reminds you of, or is he himself just something that we have you know not seen before? Well, you know, it's always fun to make the comparisons, uh, you know, because especially during for a young player where you like to speculate what could be. Uh, every player, of course, always winds up being them. There, you know, no, yeah. nobody's ever just like somebody else. But I actually see a lot of similarities in uh, in terms of rookie season. Now this goes back a little ways, but Chris Bosh, you know, oh. I, I really see a, a lot of similarities in player style between them and I look at some of the uh, deeper analytics on their rookie seasons and they're very similar as well. Uh, Now that would be very unreasonable to set expectations that Jaron Jackson is going to develop into the same caliber of player that Chris Bosch was, but I'm in talking about their games and rookie seasons, how they compare. I, I see a lot of similarities there. And certainly with Brooke Lopez, even that, like you said, I think would would be a tremendous boost uh, to the roster right now to have a player like that. Uh, so it, it'll be fun to see how, how it continues to develop. But you know, it, it's definitely very looking very promising after his rookie season. And as we're winding up, the opportunity to speak with uh, Greg Libiani of Greg uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. Greg, the last question I'll ask you is this. So you've you've done the deep dive into his rookie season. You know, we 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 know his strengths, we know his weaknesses. Give me two things, not necessarily focused on a specific weakness or anything like that, but give me two things that you're really hoping to see from Jaron this year that lets you know either his ceiling is higher than you expected or that he is getting to that next level very quickly. What two things are you really hoping to see from him You know, as we start the season and move along um, into the next year? Sure. Well, I think uh, the first thing is you know, you, you want to see how he handles uh, being a bigger focus of the offense. You know, like we were talking about just a little bit ago, he's going to get more attention from the defenses now. How does he respond to that? You know, how does he handle that? What happens to the, his turnover rates? You know, how comfortable, how quickly? Does that occur in terms of comfort level with the new offense that the staff will be bringing in? Um, and then the other one is you want to see, a, I think, a chemistry development you know, with, with some of the other uh, future core that, that everybody's looking at with John Morant, with Jonas, with uh, Brandon Clark. You know, how does he mesh with them? Are they playing well on the floor together? You know, I think those are the things that you really want to see is him take on a little bit more of that leadership role in the offense and how he handles that. 
and just overall chemistry. How does he play with the other his other teammates? Is he making them better? So I lied. I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off that with one more question. Sorry, Greg. Um, That's okay. The, 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 this time, the last question is this. You know, you mentioned the chemistry. You know, you can look at all the numbers. We talk about how important they are. You you talk about the development on the court. But, you know, again, we're talking about a small market in Memphis. We don't have as many attractive amenities as the bigger market. But Jaron Jackson Jr. himself is an asset just as much off the court as he is on it with his infectious attitude, personality, things such as that. How important and, and, and how uh, awesome is it to see the fun and, and, you know, the attitude, the mindset that Jaron Jackson Jr. brings, you know, to the Grizzlies each day? It's something we haven't seen. I mean, I know the grit and grind era had fun, but just how important is that part of Jaron Jackson Jr. as he becomes the focal point of the franchise and we continue to do this rebuild successfully? Oh, it's massive. Because especially right now, you look at the franchise, and nobody's hiding the fact that this is a rebuilding period right now, that we're going young, trying to develop this new new talent. And so to keep the community engaged is a big thing. I mean, I don't, I don't care how talented of a player you are, if you're playing in an arena that's three-fourths empty, it's hard to get pumped up for that game. You know, it, it's hard to really give it your best when 75% of the arena are empty seats. And uh, how do you avoid that? Well, I think you, you need players like Jaron Jackson who are, you know, the future of the franchise on the court, but leaders for the franchise off the court as well within the community, keeping – Everybody engaged makes people want to go see him more, even if it is a rebuilding era. And so I, th- I, you know, I think that he hasn't fully embraced it. You know, the the saying that keeps getting knocked around. You know, you hug Memphis, Memphis hugs you back. Well, I think he's been hugging Memphis. So, yeah, you know, and I think it, it's being returned to him uh, sevenfold. And so, it, you know, reminded me of, you know, like you said, the core four, Zebo. Uh, you know how 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 Zach Randolph embraced the city of Memphis, and how the city embraced him back, and so and how excited that makes everybody because everybody feels more invested in the team and the community, and so I think you're seeing that similar response to uh, Jaron's attitude and his presence around the city as well. Greg, are you excited? Do you find yourself being more excited than you have been in a long time when it comes to the Grizzlies? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I hate to see, I hated to see the core four go. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of all of those guys. Uh, you know, I had my Zebo headband on for uh, quite some time uh, watching games. Uh, but now with, you know, I, I think the, the night that we got that, knew that we were getting the number two pick, you know, a surge of hope uh, came with that. The idea of not only do we have Jaron Jackson, but now we're going to get this incredible uh, young point guard. Yeah, the, the future's looking bright. Uh, and so I find myself uh, reminding myself to be objective as possible when I'm doing uh, some of this research to write some of these stories. I'm like, all right, check the hope here for a little bit. Let, let's make sure we're uh, being fair and objective here. <laughs> Oh, don't let, hey, hey, never let numbers get in the way of a good story. That's what I've always said. All joking aside. Absolutely. 
so so we've got your guarantee then, Greg, that Jaron Jackson Jr. by the All-Star game this year, which he'll be on the Western Conference team, he will be at peak Chris Bosch level. You're guaranteeing that, correct? <laughs> Of course. That I mean, I, yeah, study? that's exactly what I said. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, 100% confident in that. <laughs> hey, you said you had the numbers to back it up. Um, yeah. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk with you. Thank you so much. You can find Greg at the Stat Doctor on Twitter. Obviously, you can find myself at StatsSAC. We both contribute to Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. And you can find our podcast at the 3ND Pod um, on Twitter as well. Greg, I can promise you this will not be the last time that we have you on. But as for the first time, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. If you'll give me just a few seconds after we get done with this recording, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. I, I had a great time. I appreciate it. Yep. We'll be right back with you with part two of this week's edition of the 3ND Podcast.